Uh, well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you. I love this. It's great to be outdoors. It's not too hot. It's a nice breeze. You're not going to get a sunburn or anything. It's, it's, this is the best time of summer to be enjoying the outdoors. And it's also a great time just to be together as God's people. We've been making a journey together over the course of this summer. We're coming into week five of our current sermon series, Connecting the Dots of Faith. And we've been in the book of Hebrews. And if you've been following along in the book of Hebrews, that means that you should be reading up through about chapter five. We've been doing one chapter a week until we get to this week. And for the next couple of weeks, it all gets messed up. So, so thank you for following along up to this point. Going forward, just keep reading through Hebrews, okay? Just keep tracking with us as we make our way through this. Um, but it's, it's been a good journey. And it's been a journey that's been guided by two key questions. And those two quick key questions are this. How do you see God? And how do you think God sees you? We've been repeating these questions every week because it's not a question that you just ask and then get an immediate answer to and then move on. Uh, these are questions of faith. These are questions that keep coming to mind in our lives over and over again if we're paying attention. Because especially when times get difficult, real challenges in life, when we face those challenges in life, we, we need to be reminded of what we see in God and how we trust God sees us. These are important things. They're, they're faith questions, and they guide us in our journey. And that's why we have been sticking with it and, and listening to the words of Hebrews to see what it is that God has to share with us. How does this author of Hebrews remind us to see God in Jesus and what does seeing God in Jesus say about us? It's important questions, and I'm glad that we've been on this journey together. We're going to jump right in now today to chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles with you, that's awesome. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. If you get it on your phone or some other way, that's fantastic. If you're watching at home and want to open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5, that's great. Otherwise, just listen along as I read here from chapter 5 beginning at verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's stop right there. Is anybody wondering what on earth is this passage about? It's a fair question. There's a lot going on here and a lot of it seems to be like in code language or, or from some distant galaxy of, of things that we just don't 
talk about every day. But there's important stuff here, and I want to try and decode some of what's happening in this passage, because this is a key passage that really defines a lot of what is being talked about in the book of Hebrews. There's a couple of terms and a phrase that is shared in this passage that shows up repeatedly within the book of Hebrews. And that phrase is this, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. High priest and Melchizedek. Let's break those down to try and kind of sort through what this passage is about and what these terms mean. Let's start with priest. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition like the Roman Catholic tradition where the person who stood up front and did the work that I'm doing right now would be called a priest. We don't typically refer to them as priests within the Lutheran uh, service or within our theology, but, but many of you may have grown up with that term for that person up front who does that thing. But priest is actually a much more ancient term. Priest is a term that's connected with all kinds of different religions all throughout history. As a matter of fact, most religions have some type of a person that operates in this role of a priest. What is that role? Well, simply put, a priest is a go-between. The role of a priest is to be a go-between, a go-between God and everybody else. This priesthood or being a priest meant that this particular person was responsible for approaching God on behalf of the people and offering something to God for their benefit. The priest would come bringing something. It would often be something that was brought to them by the people for them to then offer or sacrifice to God in order to get something back from God. That was the purpose of a priesthood. The priest stands between God and people in this intermediary role to make this exchange with God, to bring something to God in an exchange. So you give something to God and then you get something in return. Now, in Judaism, there were a variety of different types of things that the priest would bring. The priest could bring a grain offering or a wine offering or sometimes a combination of both. And that might be as a, as a thanksgiving offering. It, it might be a celebration offering, but it was something brought to God. Also, they could bring animals, sacrifices of all different kinds of animals that would be brought to God. And most of the time, those were brought in some ways to make up for something. Like as a way of finding forgiveness for something that you had done wrong or that your neighbor had done wrong. So in Judaism, this was a very organized system. Hundreds of priests served in the temple and daily they would be offering different kinds of sacrifices all day long. And over time, as is often the case with religion, the point became, do something to keep God from getting angry with you. Bring something to God to appease him. Offer him something so that you'll get a blessing and not a curse. This is the system of religion, and it exists all across the world. I went to Southeast Asia, and, and in Southeast Asia, they had around many of these homes, these, these little, little prayer buildings. They looked like a birdhouse, but, but they, were, they were a place where, where the local God would live, and the people in that household were expected to bring out fruit or different types of things to, to offer to that neighborhood God to keep that God happy. 
Well, the priesthood in Judaism was not that much different. Well, it wasn't what God intended it to be because we're humans and because we try our best to follow but often fail. The Judaism system, the the system of religion, became a system of give to get. Bring something to God. Let the priests offer something to God so that you'll get something back good from God. It was transactional. A transactional relationship with God. We have lots of transactional relationships all over the place. We just often don't think of them in terms of religion. But we do transactions all the time. If I go down to the grocery store and I want to pick up a bag of apples, I don't walk in the door and say, hey, just give me some apples. I expect that when I show up, I'm going to have to bring some money. I'm going to have to hand it over to somebody. And in exchange for what I give them, they're going to give me back the apples. It's a transaction. We deal with it all the time. But when it comes into our place of dealing with God, well, the stakes are just a lot higher. The idea here is that if I don't offer something right to God in the right way or at the right time with the right motive in mind, well, I might get a curse instead of a blessing. I might lose my land. I might lose my family. Uh, The the crops might die. Whatever natural thing that we would attribute to to God's work, we would say, if I don't do something for God, God is not going to do something for me. This is where the role of priests came in. Now, what about a high priest? Well, a high priest was somebody in Judaism who had a very special role. They were the highest of the priesthood. They, They were, in a rotational basis over a period of time, expected to come and and oversee all of the work of the temple. They were a political as well as a religious leader. But they had one specific job once a year that was really, really important and really, really dangerous. Once a year, that high priest was supposed to go into the temple into a place that could only be accessed once a year behind a curtain called the Holy of Holies. And in this place, this is the place where God would actually show up and where a human being would be exposed to everything that God was. And in this holy of holies, once a year, this high priest, after he had prepared himself, doing all kinds of ritual cleansings and all kinds of a variety of different things, would go in and would offer once a year something called an atonement. On the day of atonement, an offering for atonement. And that once-a-year offering was an offering to cover their own sin, but the sin of everybody in the community. And it was a dangerous thing to do. The high priest had to do it exactly right. If they didn't do it exactly right, they would be struck dead. As a matter of fact, there was enough concern about the high priest going in and doing this every year that when the high priest would get ready to go into the Holy of Holies, the other priests who were assisting him would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he went into the Holy of Holies and God struck him dead, they wouldn't make the mistake of going into the Holy of Holies after him. They would just drag him out by the rope. That's how dangerous this encounter was. That's how much people feared God in this encounter with God. So that was the priesthood and the high priest. So maybe it gives you a little bit of a framework for what this means. But then there's this character called Melchizedek. Say Melchizedek. Yeah, good job. You are now Greek and Hebrew scholars. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a character that shows up in the Bible in one spot, in one particular moment. 
of, of, of history. He shows up around the time of Abraham. Abraham, who was the father of the faith, right? The great faith person, the one who God called and said he would make a people of, who he would bless to be a blessing. Melchizedek shows up on a field of victory. There's been a battle that's taken place. Abraham's on the winning side. And he shows up in the middle with, with, with the other leaders and other people who are there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, shows up this guy named Melchizedek. And he's described as a king. And Melchizedek translates to king of righteousness. But he was also called the king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. So righteousness and peace. This Melchizedek shows up. And when this Melchizedek shows up, he is a priest. Because he comes to do what priests would do. To receive an offering and bring a blessing. But Melchizedek does it the other way around. Melchizedek shows up, sees Abraham, and brings bread and wine to Abraham. And then offers a blessing to Abraham. And then after having given this blessing, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he has. And Abraham had a lot. But he offers to Melchizedek, to this priest, 10% of everything that he has. It's where we get the term tithe from. 10%. But rather than offering it to Melchizedek in the hopes of getting a blessing, instead Melchizedek offers this blessing first. Gives this blessing and then an offering comes after. So there's the high priest and there's Melchizedek. Now what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, maybe if you've been following along, you're starting to connect the dots yourself. Jesus is our high priest. In fact, he's not just any high priest. Jesus is the highest priest. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is perfect, sinless, goes before God and offers himself as God on behalf of all of us. One sin offering, a perfect sin offering, one time and for all. After Jesus, there's no more need for any more sacrifices. It's done. It's finished. Jesus offers this one time sacrifice. And something amazing happens when he does this. In the book of Matthew, in the account of the crucifixion, when Jesus dies on the cross and says it is finished, it says that the temple curtain, the one that keeps distance and separation between God and everybody else, the temple curtain is split in half from top to bottom. Now, all of a sudden, all of these barriers, these things that are in between, this danger of approaching God the wrong way is eliminated because Jesus does the work for us. There's no longer fear. There's no longer judgment. There's approaching God by faith and receiving mercy and grace from him. Everything's changed. Everything changes in an instant because Jesus is the high priest. And because this way is now open, this access is now clear, now, 
The work has been done for us in advance. And everything that we do is a response. Everything we do in life becomes a response of faith to what has already been done for us. The, it switches from religion being about giving to get something from God to instead we get to give. Now we get to give. There's nothing in the way. We have full access to everything that God wants for us. And he gets full access into our lives because of what he has done for us. It's a 100%, 100% deal. It's amazing. It's an incredible gift. And this Melchizedek marks the way of that, shows us what this is like. And that's what the author is talking about here when he's describing being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek wasn't like any other priest. And neither was Jesus. Jesus comes and offers himself to us in bread and wine. Jesus comes and pours out a blessing on us, a blessing from the Father of forgiveness and mercy and grace offered freely to us. And from that place of him giving to us, we get to now give back. We get to fully participate. We get to see the world around us through different eyes. And we get to approach God in a totally different way because there's nothing that stands in the way anymore. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says it this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's a totally different story now. Now we can boldly approach God. No matter where it is we've been, no matter what it is that we've done, we can come boldly to God by faith and say, Lord, I need your mercy and your forgiveness, and it's right there for us. And he offers it in abundance for us. And he says, come in, be welcome, take all that I have done for you, and now go and show that same kind of love and mercy and grace to others. Now we get to give. We get to give of our entire lives. We get to give of our time and our talents and our treasure. All of it belongs to God. All of it. And our attitude has changed. When we see somebody around us who, who needs to hear about Jesus, we don't approach them by going, hey, you know what? Um, I've heard about Jesus and I'm better than you and I've got it all figured out. So let me come and tell you how you're doing everything wrong and what you need to get fixed in your life before Jesus can come and, and save you too. No, not at all. Instead, we get to be the people who show up and say, hi, I'm a mess. But let me tell you about this Jesus who loved me so much, and I know that he loves you just as much no matter what kind of a mess you think you are too. This is access, complete and total access to God's grace and mercy and a spirit that then desires to respond and gets to give out and back and through to the world around us. 
And it includes our talents too. You know, often people will, will come to church for their entire lives and be like, well, you know what? I, I don't really have anything of a talent that's worth showing to God. I mean, I, I don't have the, the, the ability to speak like Pastor Darren or Pastor Angie, and I, I can't play guitar like Dan. So, so I guess, you know, really my gifts just don't matter. Yes, they do. Every single one of them matters. And when we put them into God's hands, watch what God does with the simplest of gifts that anyone can bring. Because we have full access, friends. Time, talent, and treasure. Now let's talk about this last one for a minute. <laughs> people have all sorts of opinions about financial giving. And when you start talking about people's money, people start to go, oh, okay, here we go. This is what this is really all about, huh? No, this is just a part. But it is a part, friends. People have opinions about what it means to give financially and what it means to offer a tithe. We talk about that. Maybe you've heard about that, about giving 10% of what it is that, that God has given you back to his work through the church. It's true. It's real. I've done it my whole life. But I haven't done it because I have to. I've done it because I get to. I get to participate in God's work in the world. I get to see lives transformed through his ministry in the church and through your lives out into your neighborhoods. I get to be a part of that. It's not a have to, it's a get to. And when we offer ourselves completely to God of our time, our talent, and our treasure, then we get to see the way God works in our lives through faith and how God provides again and again and again, not only for your needs, but for the needs of those around you. I, I want to introduce a friend of mine who's going to come up and, and share a little bit about this in his own life. His name's Joe Ehrman. Where are you, Joe? Oh, I see that hand. Come on up, Joe. Joe's going to come up and share just a little testimony from his own life of, of what it's been like to, to walk in this way of faith and trusting God for our provision. So welcome up, Joe. Thank you, Pastor Darren. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, I had shared this with uh, uh, Pastor Darren a couple weeks ago in one of our conversations, and he had come back and said, would you be willing to, to share this experience I've had recently with the congregation, because he thought it'd be encouraging to people. I said, well, if you think so, sure, I'd be willing to stand up here and do that. So um, as, as a quick background, um, at, like Pastor Darren said, I've been tithing our entire my entire Christian life. Uh, Lisa and I made a decision early in our marriage. It's like, you know, it may sound crass, or too businesslike, but we, you know, we treat our tithe as like a line item in the budget. It's a bill to be paid. It's money that has to be set aside and go towards that purpose. And for the most part, I've had a pretty good attitude about that through the years. But there have been times where I've, you know, struggled a little bit. Um, but I've seen God's faithfulness come out as a result of that, though, too. And we've seen some amazing provisions. So the one thing I've had more difficulty with is the whole faith pledge concept. And I've really had a prickly relationship with that through the years and have tried to do it and have not been very successful at it because I'm too type A. It's like, if you know you're going to give, just look at your budget and say you're going to give. You know, this saying, I'm just going to trust God to bring things in, never settled well with me. Um, I do my budget once a month because that's what I got used to being paid at with 3M for 35 years. And so every, you know, I still do that now that I'm retired. And at the beginning of the month, um, every penny is accounted for. I know it's hard to imagine if you guys know me at all that, you know, 
every penny is accounted for. And then every month I do like a mid-month, you know, course correction or sanity check and make sure that I'm still on track. Well, we had the opportunity for the faith pledge for the canopy of grace, and I just really felt God saying, it's time for you to grow in this area too and to step out because it was really exciting, like Pastor Darren said, uh, to we get to give, you know, and I have just, we've been so blessed with this fellowship and just what a thing, what God has done in our lives through everybody here. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to conquer my fears. I'm going to make a faith pledge. Well, what has happened for the last nine months is that I do my budget at the beginning. Everything's accounted for. Halfway through, I do a check, and lo and behold, there's money there enough for the faith pledge. It's happened every month, month after month after month, for like the last nine months. And I just kind of laugh, and I'll laugh to Lisa. I go, I, I don't know where this came from. I, I did the budget at the beginning, and now here it is. And, okay, God, this is pretty cool. you know. So I just have to give God the credit for that. And it's taught me a lot just over the last nine months about trusting in ways that I had maybe had some difficulty with, even though for 42-plus years we've tithed every month, you know. So it was just an opportunity to, to give testimony to what God's done. And he's faithful. You just can't outgive him. And, and it is such a privilege and such a blessing to be able to get to give. So, and it's also a blessing to be able to give this testimony to you guys too. So thank you. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Last service when Joe was sharing this, this, he started off by saying, yeah, I shared this story with Pastor Darren, and then he asked me to come up and do this. So the moral of the story is, be careful what you share with Pastor Darren. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful, Joe, and, and thank you. You know, it, it, it shows that heart and what faith means. Now, now listen, there are those who will, who will teach and others who will teach and say that, well, you know, what, what making a faith pledge is is, is is giving something so that you get something back from God. You know, that if you give a certain amount, then you'll get something back from God. That's not how this works. That's religion. We're talking about faith here. We're talking about living a life that says, God, you have access to everything, and I can trust you. I can trust, Lord, that there will be enough, more than enough, for me and for others to cover the need that is there. That's having that kind of faith. That's approaching God with that kind of attitude, a boldness that says, God, I am in need, and I am trusting you to provide for that need. So before we go to a time of prayer here, I want, I want to repeat a line of, of scripture that we just shared because it's so important for us to realize this now as we come to a close. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Some people will be here today and are in a place of going, you know what, Lord, I'm so grateful that all my needs have been met. And Lord, out of that place of abundance, Lord, I'm, I'm able to, to give and be generous and I want to continue to do that and, and maybe do more. There may be others who are in this place going, you know what, Lord, I need. I'm in a place of need right now. And that's okay. Being in a place of need doesn't mean you don't have faith. Being in a place of need means you're human and that you recognize that this is the place with God's people in community with one another, in a community of grace and mercy where I come to, to receive from God and where I come trusting that, that if I have a need, I present it to God and God will help me see it through and help see me through in it too. 
That might be you today. You may be in a place of need today. It's all right. It's okay. As long as you take that need and you boldly come before God. That's the invitation today, is to boldly come before God's throne of mercy and grace. Not questioning whether you are worthy, not wondering whether or not you've done enough to earn something from God, but instead from a place of great thanksgiving and appreciation in your heart that says, God, I know what it is you have done for me. And I believe it and I trust you to provide for me in every way. I want you to be bold to ask that way today. And maybe you need to ask that way on behalf of somebody else. Maybe there's someone you know in your family, in your neighborhood, in your circle of friends who is in a place of need. And you need to boldly ask today, Lord, would you open up your abundance of grace and mercy and provision for that person? And Lord, if you need to use me to do that, Lord, open me up to it too. Can we have that kind of faith? Can we trust that way? I think we can. I think God is asking us to. So with that attitude, let's approach him in prayer right now. Let's just quiet our hearts and come before the Lord on this beautiful afternoon. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with our needs. And Lord, whether those needs are great or small, they're all needs that can be met in you. Lord, you, you call us from your word to boldly come before your throne, which seems like the most dangerous place to go. Who am I to stand before the king and creator of the universe and ask for anything? But Jesus, you have made a way and you have invited us to do exactly that. So Lord, today, from our place of need, trusting in your place of abundance, we come asking. We ask for ourselves, for those areas that, that need your mercy and need your grace. We ask for our neighbors, whether they're here among us right now or whether they're in our neighborhood or, or at our workplace or in our school, Lord. You know each one of those needs and you know each of those people by name. And Lord, we cry out on their behalf. And Lord, let those folks know when you answer that prayer with your mercy and your grace that it is you who is doing this, Lord. Father, thank you that we can trust you for all of it. We can trust you, Lord, for the provision we need from, from something as, as simple as the roof on a building, Lord to the deeper needs, Lord, of healing for friends who we know, Lord, who are suffering, suffering right now, Lord, whether it be from injury or from illness, Lord. You can provide there too. Father, help us to have great faith and trust in your abundance. And then, Lord, to live into that abundance by giving generously of our time, talent, and treasure every place that we go without reservation with great generosity because that is a reflection of your heart and your love for us thank you Jesus for this holy moment right here right now with these people gathered in your name because together Lord we pray these things Jesus in your name
And all God's people said, amen.